man, we talk about this stuff a lot on the podcast, but it is, it's nice to feel validated by S1s. Community. Your money where the movement is. It's the people that make the world go round. That make the world go round. Oh, is it the money? Hey, I'm Alexis. I'm community. Hey, I'm Michael. I'm Capital. So something like that. We are recording. Thumbs up. We've never done this in person. It's true. I know, right? We've never even met in person until now. I know, so. right? What a time to be alive. And then we just played Madden. Yeah. Yeah, it went really well for me. FIFA, <sighs> for FIFA didn't go as well, though. It's true. So we're one and one, each yeah, of us. That's so fair. So I think, yeah, I think today's a good day to talk about gaming. 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 So, yeah. yes, I beat you in FIFA. That's true. You one beat nil. me in Madden. And what was yeah, the score of that one? It was really... I got, a tweet, I got to tweet the highlight. It was 42 to 26. And... Washington I football it team have even been that close, to be honest. That's true. I uh, I gave the Seattle Seahawks a bad name. You know, it's, it's, a tran- it's a transition year. They're figuring it out. But so wait, we're talking about gaming because we were playing video games? Well, so that may seem like why we're talking about it. But the reality yeah. is, I think gaming is the future of ownership. Because hmm. gamification of everything ties in with monetizing that engagement and all of that ties in with the ownership economy and people want to own things. So we've seen this and and we'll break this down in three different areas. So three very recent events. One, Robinhood going public. Mm. Gamification of Did you see that S1? Did you see that S1 and all the money they're making off of people day trading crypto? Yes. 6% of... First quarter revenues was from Dogecoin. Good God. <laughs> so talk about gamification of financial markets. Can we not what? can we not 6% think that, that is, is exactly what that is? Of Robinhood's Q1 revenues because mm-hmm. of Dogecoin. Yep. Man. I mean, we we talk about this stuff a lot on the podcast, but it is it's nice to feel validated by S1s. <laughs> it is. Now wow. I think we need to get into mm-hmm. the good and the bad of that because there are positive things of gamification. Yeah. One is it makes people want to engage more. Robinhood has significantly mm. more engagement mm-hmm. than other financial services apps, bank, sure. digital banking apps, things like that. And that results in higher ARPU, average revenue per customer, mm-hmm. right? So Robinhood's ARPU is actually $137. Good God. Which is incredible, but right? They're, they're monetizing that through the data they sell, right? No, they're monetizing that through transaction revenues. So they're monetizing uh, they that a through hair, trading. A little taste of so every trade. show me the incentives and I will show you the outcome. Mm. The incentives mm. Push are people to trade more. make people trade more because mm. Robinhood sends their, their that order flow to mm-hmm. Citadel and mm-hmm. all these other market makers and they take a small piece mm. of the revenue from that. They get paid by the market makers for sending their order flow that, to, to them. And, uh, yeah, it's it incentive. And if you incentivize people to trade, it's commission-free trading. So they've made it free to trade. Right. And it has gamified investing to some extent. And now there's some good things about it too, right? You're enabling people, 50% of Robinhood's customers, the 18.8 million mm-hmm. active users, 50% of them have never had a brokerage account before. Wow. So 
These are all people They've never traded. They never thought of themselves as traders. They never even touched it. Trading or even investing, mm. the stock ownership in the US is woefully <clears throat> low. 14% of Americans own a single stock. So now wow. more people own mm. stock through their pension plan, 401k, mm. sure. whatever it may be, but actually own a single stock, own a share of Apple or a share of Shopify. 14% of adult Americans? Yep. Wow. So and wow, if we, again, this gets back to ownership, right? So mm-hmm. the ownership economy. And I think we've seen it there. You've seen it through companies like SoRare, which mm. you're an investor in, right? In the gaming space where you're now able to own your game. I think that's SoRare's, that's actually SoRare's slogan is own your game. Yeah, that's the right? sauce, man. Don't give that money to EA just for a card <laughs> that you don't actually own. So mm. financial markets, gaming, and then this week, we also had a really interesting announcement by Netflix that they are becoming a gaming publisher. They hired a guy who ran yeah, was very interesting Facebook, yeah. uh, Facebook's business there, and they now want to become a publisher. Mm-hmm. They have 200 million subscribers. So what does that mean in terms of connecting directly with your fans and engaging your community in different ways. It's smart for a lot of reasons. It's weird. So I liked the fact, you know, they, they made headlines launching their little Shopify store for merch based mm-hmm. on IP that they wholly own. Very smart move for them. And I think there's a lot more they could do there for sure. But like digital ownership is getting very real very quickly. And if you're an IP holder as broad and diverse as Netflix... And your goal is just get people to sign up for Netflix. Gaming has such strong engagement and community effects. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, this, is, this is the company that said their competitor was sleep. So if you solve the problem for casual lean back entertainment and sort of lean forward gaming, you win. Aside from people having to go to work, <laughs> you basically have every other part of their life. I think you're hitting mm. on something which is if they're able to pull it off, such a profound change in the way that a network like that works too. Oh. It was single player. You'd sit back and watch Netflix and you could do that with friends. And yes, I think there are ways to do sure. that with friends virtually. But doesn't the gaming component make this a multiplayer network? Oh yeah. Like it's never been and engages people in ways that they've never been engaged before. It does. And they have a playbook that isn't Building a good gaming company is not a hard problem to solve. It has been repeated all over the world, whether it's been a a quirky studio in Finland or one in Singapore or one here in the U.S. Like the model for how to build an effective, addictive, fun game is solved, essentially. And especially a casual type game that's mobile first or browser first. And then the thing that most game development shops don't have out the gate is IP that people want. And so if you tell the Stranger Things community, that's the show, right? Stranger Things, never watched it before in my life. But you tell the Stranger Things community, hey, here's a game based on IP characters that you love that's casual and fun. And it's, you know, there'll be spoilers in the game that will give you things to look forward to while we're still in development for the next season. You can create this amazing rabbit hole of engagement that just keeps people in the network, in the ecosystem, enamored with your brand. It's very, very smart. And I think, you know, it wouldn't, I have the infinity gauntlet here behind me with a couple of video games. And it's like, when you execute it well, you create something that is just so layered. And gaming has 
so much room to grow. I was tweeting out the numbers of gaming, of, oh, video game revenue in the last year. And it still seems small for where I think it's going. So I love this move by Netflix. So where does Netflix go from here? Because when I think of gaming, maybe it's just because I'm a fintech guy. Mm. But I think of all the things you can do around monetization. So in-app payments, a closed-loop payments ecosystem, banking, to some extent, like within a virtual world, virtual goods. Oh, Oh, yeah. Is that where they go or do they go more the route of let's take the shows, create games around the shows and enable the fans Mm -hmm. to engage by playing games that are related to the the content that Netflix has already created? I think it's column A and column B. So in the history of video games, one of the the like prime examples of kind of lazy game development was take IP from a movie and slap it into a game. And they're usually never good. That's the reason GoldenEye was so special is that it was one of the few games. It was actually another game that they then last minute turned into a GoldenEye game. That's actually the reason it was actually good. But there was a reason why that was a phenomenon. It's because it sold. Because people who loved the movie wanted, or the IP, wanted to get the game, even though it was a mediocre game. It would still sell well. And so the model just kept repeating. So I think that is a tried and true way to do it. And knowing Netflix, they're already a product-minded company. Mm -hmm. So I think acquiring the talent to set them up for success to actually make great products, like great gaming products is a slam dunk. And I think you will see the ability to test out ideas in the gaming world or gaming side of Netflix that if it turns out is something people love, easily then translates into a Netflix series and vice versa. I remember, I don't know if they ever launched it. League of Legends, one of the most popular video games in the world. I remember touring Riot four or five years ago. This is right after I came back as exec chair at Reddit. And I was catching up with Brendan, who was the CEO there and founder. And and he was showing me the stuff they were working on for like trailers and story around the characters. And there are dozens and dozens of characters in League of Legends. I don't actually know. I should look to see how much they did with this in terms of, did they make feature films? Did they make animated series? I don't actually know. But if I'm sitting here as Netflix, I'm like, I will just do this all day long. The content side of our business is going to inspire the gaming side. The gaming side is going to inspire our content side. And all that matters is more and more people keep spending their hard-earned money on Netflix IP, loving Netflix IP, logged in Netflix.com, giving us this data. And I found the stat. Global video game revenue grew 10% last year, will grow 4.4% compounded per year through 2025 based on some analysts' reports. Annual revenues reaching, this is by 2025, 197, call it $200 billion. And, and around 6% of global content consumption. And that's against every other form of content. And I think what Netflix realizes is lean back content is great, but the ceiling of engagement is only so high. And they tried, they did that. What was the interact? There was a choose your own adventure horror show on Netflix where you could choose your own adventure in this horror show. And I think they saw like, oh, this is interesting. Like it's not a great user experience, but people are into it. You're going to see more of that kind of choose your own adventure, lean in style content but nothing is going to compete with gaming. Nothing can because it crosses community Mm -hmm. and it's built to be engaging in a way that a lean back film just never can be. So then do they go the route of trying to truly capture as many part of people's lives as they possibly can? So like 
creating a virtual world where the fans or people who watch Netflix content end up participating in this virtual world. Yeah. And then in-app currencies, all sorts of things like that. Is that where they go? And then create this whole (laughs) digital world for people to live in that's kind of under the Netflix hood? I really think so. I really think that's the move because everyone's talking about what the metaverse is going to be. I don't know what the metaverse is going to be. I think it'll actually be, I don't know if there'll be one homogenous or, or like one overarching one for a while. And so in the meantime, it's like own the theaters, which in this way are the the spaces that people are occupying. So like, you know, Fortnite has become, it's a shooting game. It's not designed for rock concerts. Travis Scott did a show there as like a hundred thousand foot giant, you know, again, all in the animated world. I think if you're watching where this goes and your Netflix, you eventually either have to do a deal with Epic where your content's premiered at Fortnite, mm-hmm. or you have your own damn theater. Well, the other thing there mm-hmm. that's interesting is that there are a lot of people who will watch video games being played. Dude, that's yes. an Twitch, entire baby. activity into it's true. very true into into and of itself. Yeah, is that the way that a platform like that should go, which already has massive mm. captive user base? Gosh, that's wild. They could totally go in that direction and then have another collision course with Amazon, which is already trying to drink their milkshake on the Prime Video side. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Twitch created that culture or scaled that culture of basically watching other people play video games. And and it's here. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, to your point, I think that's a natural move for Netflix as well. Well, that's the power Mm. of esports, right? It kind of has that same feel as people end up watching these other people playing these games effectively yeah yeah it really does and that's that's where i mean esports is a massive industry at this point it's kind of a big deal (laughs) kind of right but i i see it coming man and there's there's gonna be i don't know how the markets reacted to the netflix news were they positive positive okay yeah they should i mean uh, it's i mean it's a 240 50 billion dollar market cap company hard to move it too much but but yeah what was certainly positive from my perspective i think it's positive because one is this single player to multiplayer experience. Mm -hmm. Like you're creating this network of people who can then interact with each other. Yeah. And and it makes it exactly like you said, it's lean forward, not lean back. Because even if you're consuming the content in a multiplayer experience, you're still engaging with all these other people around you. Yes. In a different way than you would be just sitting back and consuming more linear content. Oh yeah. So that's where I think this is a, great move for them. The other thing about being a publisher Mm -hmm. is you capture the revenues. So publishers, unlike traditional sports teams, I Mm. I know we've we've talked about, and it's been talked about, the comparison between esports teams and professional sports teams. There are definitely some similarities. However, I think one profound difference is that there is no one economic owner of the league they're mm-hmm. collective economic owners of the league, but there's no one economic owner. But if you think about game developers, game publishers, it's Tencent. It could be Netflix now. Mm-hmm. They actually Axie. own. Yeah, actually, <laughs> they they determine the economic model. <clears throat> yeah, and they are the ones that capture all of the revenues. Right. So the business model ends up being different and significantly more powerful <clears throat> for the publisher themselves. Mm than a traditional sports team or league would be, which that to me 
when I think about that, I think that's a whole nother business yeah. for somebody like Netflix to get into. And number one, grow their subscriber base. I mean, 200 million subscribers. Why can't they have more? To me, this is like, why can't Netflix wedge their way into becoming Tencent? Now, from the fintech side, I think hmm. it'd be fascinating to see, like, they already have a merch store. What if you could create a currency, a virtual currency within the Netflix ecosystem where you can start to pay for things? And there's value. Maybe it's not just paying for things, but maybe it's tied to experiences, which is where NFTs would come in, right? right? And people can then have experiences within the Netflix ecosystem that have some sort of value or unlock some sort of monetary value or non-monetary value. And to me, that I think this just gives them so much room to run in that world. Now, the one thing that I, I do question is we're also living in a world where platform versus participant, something that, that Lee Jin has talked about, is being stressed. And it's largely being stressed because of the crypto economies, things like NFTs, where creators can connect directly with their fans and monetize directly with their fans, removing the middleman. Yeah. You time. still have the platform versus participant issue with something like Netflix because where my mind goes there is in that world, if you created tokens that people were able to monetize or buy as part of a show or part of a specific actor, actress, like tied to them and their success, wouldn't those actor, actresses or people running that show, wouldn't they want to kind of do things themselves? Because then they could connect directly with their fans. So in a world of creators, whether it's musicians, artists, actors, athletes, they want to have a direct relationship with their fans. If Netflix were to create some sort of virtual economy, leveraging NFTs, would that not be possible? And would that make people want to migrate to their own world, connect directly with their fans? I wonder, it's such a high production to make a film, to do a lot of this stuff, what Netflix has going for it is they can still, for now at least, I mean, budgets are going to, you're going to be able to keep doing more with less in dollars for sure. But like even, there's a lot of content you're still, you'll still need a lot of people to work on to be successful. Whereas like, yeah, TikTok video you could do by yourself and have it be more compelling than Quibi content. Mm -hmm. But for the kind of content that's currently Netflix's sweet spot, you ultimately require more people in the mix. I think, you know, you see Twitter making some investments. I mean, Twitter slash Square making some investments in the future of Bitcoin. I think mm -hmm. it would behoove Netflix to be thinking ahead to, to kind of future-proof itself from this because they at least have five years, maybe 10, where it's going to matter to be on Netflix where, I mean, look at the number. Amazon Prime and Netflix are winning all the Oscars and all the Emmys and that trend's going to continue because they've got the money and they've got the data and they can they now have the prestige. So that's going to last them five to 10. And then it's going to be on them to figure out how do we deal with that? Because you're, I mean, the, the macro trends are 100% right. They're, they're moving more towards creators being directly connected with the people who consume the content. Well, maybe there's a, a middle way too. what Angel City did with the oh, NFT crest. drop. And, and yeah. I'm sure you could think about ways in which you could enable players to connect directly with their fans. Dora. <laughs> We're doing it live. Come here. Dora. Dora. So, so, yeah. So maybe there is a middle way where like Angel City mm. created an NFT to enable their fans to invest into her own 
fractionalized pieces of the crest, the club crest. Yes. And eventually, I'm sure, whether it's Angel City or other teams and players are doing this in the NFL. Rob Gronkowski is an NFT. <laughs> yes, he does. So, Mahomes did one. Mahomes did one, exactly. So players are doing this as well. And I think teams would behoove themselves not to try to find ways to support players from doing this, mm. to connect directly with their fans because it helps the teams as well. So maybe Netflix creates a way for the actors and actresses and the people creating the shows and content to do this with their fans where it's like they benefit directly, but so, so does, so does Netflix. No respect. Adora, quiet. Netflix. She's excited about Netflix. She's excited about it. I get actually, I need to have my, my infinity gone on off. We're going to talk. So yeah, but is that where you think it goes where the platforms end up figuring out ways to, help the creators monetize directly from their fans? I think they have to because there is not going to be like in a lot of ways, the way even Netflix exists is a relic of a bygone era where that's just how the business models had to be. And, and Netflix is right on the cusp of the change to now what go, what they have going for them is they are a product company. They are a software company. So I think they can adapt, but I think you absolutely have to have that mindset because the momentum is not going to stop. And look, people, I've had so many people from the entertainment industry asking, how do I get into NFTs? What do I do? Like it is, it has absolutely crossed the chasm when it comes to some of the biggest creators in the world. Everyone's just trying to figure out the right application of the technology. We're still in like 2006 of social media where everyone's kind of like, okay, this social media thing is probably going to be real, maybe, but it, it's nowhere close to the adoption will be eventually. So is what you just said one of the reasons why going into gaming is such a big deal for Netflix? Because to me, like this unlocks the ability to leverage things like NFTs and crypto. Because I want to talk oh, about yeah. gaming. So yeah. you mentioned one of them, Axie. Axie, Axie Infinity. Oh my God. So rare, oh right? My God. That feels like the future of gaming. And yeah. let's unpack why. Yeah. It's the future of gaming because you actually own the things you're paying for. And so there's already billions of dollars being spent on digital goods, like to play as a player in FIFA or to get a special skin for your character in Fortnite. Or there's black market, right? Like there used to be black market eBay sales of World of Warcraft gold. In fact, Bannon made a bunch of money running yeah. an eBay gold farm That's in right. China, yep. right? And so this is nothing, nothing about this is new to gaming. What is new is that the marketplace is being actually built and run at a global scale using this amazing technology that is the blockchain. And millions and millions of dollars are already being transacted places like the Axie Infinity Marketplace and on SoRare because people are, some are speculating, some are just into the game, others are finding ways to generate revenue from the whole process. And it's like, we're not going back. Once enough gamers realize that they could be compensated, not just for the time they spend gaming, which is a phenomenon, right? I, I think Candy Crush made like a billion in revenue last year. I can feel confident saying no one <laughs> spent that money for a good reason. It's Candy Crush. I mean, it's some ad revenue and some stupid power up so you can swipe some buttons. This is not uh, a canonical world-changing gaming experience, but people like it, whatever, God bless. But once you realize you could be making money for that time, you don't go back. And then more importantly, if you are right and you are early, 
you make a lot of money and gaming as a culture is so geared towards being onto what's next in like the, the way that people talk about music and like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm into that band before they were big. Like gaming culture is very much tied to this is the hot game. All of my friends are playing it. We need to be in it. We need to be good at it. And, and you now put a financial incentive to it, dude, community times capital. And it's all day long going to win. And once that mind shift happens, what would it, t- I mean, really like you, let's say eventually, right? The games like so rare and Axie are designed to be simple, like turn-based because blockchain can't yet do the real time calculations mm-hmm. to scale yet. It will happen. But even in the meantime, pound for pound, you compare that experience to the sort of precursor of it, where again, you don't get compensated for it. There's no marketplace. You know, stuff. The game is just as fun. This sort of turn-based like Pokemon battle style game, just as fun. And why would anyone, this is my favorite thing in like software and technology. It's an intelligence test. You would have to be an idiot <laughs> to see these two basically now equal products and choose the one where you aren't actually being valued for your time. And when you're at that point with a technology, shit changes fast. And it's, it's exciting to see because I think this is going to snowball pretty quickly. Is the like user experience there? Because I guess that would be the one question it's, as to why people may not migrate yeah. until they're ready to migrate. It's close. Right? Look, for all the money that's spent on Call of Duty or Metal of Honor, these first-person shooters, no one's built the Web3 version of that yet. Um, it will come, but they haven't built it yet. And so from a user experience standpoint, it's not only worse, it just doesn't even exist. There's not even a comp for it. It makes sense that the game types that would come first are the ones that play to the strengths of the technology, not its weaknesses. But I do, if you believe the technology will get better, that is blockchain technology, whether it's Ethereum or whatever, if you believe it will get better, and I do believe it will, then it is inevitable. Inevitable. It's inevitable. I'm going to find as many chances as I can. That... This will be built and it will pass this intelligence test for gamers and for people, which is like, of course I want to be here. And and now, okay, wait, and here's the other part, right? You're seeing this global phenomenon. You're seeing that it's especially, Axie in particular is very popular in Southeast Asia, the Philippines in particular. People are paying for cancer treatments with the money they're making on Axie. They're making more money than they might make in another job. Yeah. And, And so, and again, remember this phenomenon is not new. Right. Bannon was running his computer farms in China where the cost of labor was less and he could get people to mine World of Warcraft gold. And he wasn't the only one doing it. Plenty of people were doing it. It Look, it's the market taking advantage of this sort of time value of money phenomenon. And what's powerful is this empowers a lot of people in markets where GDP is less. And also, frankly, think of like the core audience for gaming is kids. So there's a lot of kids right now in the U.S., who might be fine, their time is near infinite. We were just playing video games a little earlier and it's like, God, I wish I had time for video games again. But as a kid, your time for video games is pretty close to the max it'll ever be in your life. Even small amounts of money are very, very, very meaningful, let alone the kinds of hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars or more that folks are taking home right now. This totally reorients how people think about work and play. It's my Mm. favorite quote, Mm. uh, which is, let my people go surfing. Mm. From, uh, from that book. That's good. And it's, you can't discern whether yeah. somebody's working or playing because they're yeah. just having so much fun. This mm. does kind of get to that though. Imagine oh, if yeah. people can have fun doing something they love doing, but actually 
make money doing it because they may be playing a game, but the reality is they may be earning a living. Yeah, for sure. And, and that is, I think there's a generation of kids. I think my daughter and her generation will look at me and be like, wait, dad, you play video games for free or you spent money playing video games as a kid? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I did. And you didn't earn any of the things you bought? No, no, I just lost them in the ether when I switched games. I just, I don't know where they are. And, and that will seem like a ridiculous thing that we put up with. And, and I wouldn't have believed that. Yeah, look, I right, I, very early in crypto and it still was only in the last, I'd say year and a half, two years. COVID really accelerated this that it was very apparent that the technology was ready, the quality of the experience. I mean, look, Axie, so rare. These are companies that didn't just start yesterday. They've been building yeah, for yeah. years. So rare started in 2018. Axie yeah. started, I think, four, four years ago or yeah, so. These are not overnight successes. And to their credit, these founders realized they could build something. You know, they materialized the future, which is just it's amazing. And the stuff that's coming, I remember we're still, this is round one, maybe round two. We have so much more on the way, so much more. What is the transition point where people say, I can live in an entirely virtual world and transact there and trying to move into monetize the there? Yeah, I mean, heck, I mean, it feels I, like people are doing that on Axie. I think it's coming, it's coming soon. There was a, someone tweeted a good thing about reality bias and I get it, like for a lot of people, we're creating worlds that are actually more desirable to be in. And it's not science fiction. They can be whoever they want to be. This kind of gets to the crux of identity. Mm -hmm. In the physical world, we have identities that are based on certain things, mm -hmm. good or bad, and mm -hmm. founded or unfounded. But in a virtual world, you can create an identity Whatever of you who you want to be. Yeah. And, and that has some level of power to it. So... What does that look like? And what will it take to incentivize people to say, I want to live in that world instead of living in current physical Dude, world? Dude, it's unfortunately, it's a combination of push and pull. I think it's the platforms, the worlds have to be good enough, have to be rewarding enough monetarily and, and you know, delightful enough and all those other things. And then I think on some level too, the quality of life in the physical world needs to be so, I hate to say not bad, but at least... The alternative, it's a trade-off, right? Do I spend that extra hour in this digital world or physical world? And it's going to come down to both how desirable the online world is and how not desirable the offline one is. How much does this change the future of work? I know the VC mm. community has talked a lot about the future of work and has invested along that theme for the last few years. Now, COVID obviously accelerated that oh, yeah. in many ways, but this takes it to another level. If we talk about like people on Axie are making money and earning a living. Yeah on Axie, playing the game, playing yeah. to earn. There are some people who are playing to earn, actually. Yeah. That's one of the most powerful features of the game yeah. is that there are people who may not be able to hmm. buy virtual goods in that world for the price that they are. Right. And things will get more expensive as some of those goods get more scarce and more people come onto the platform. But they're playing to earn and they're actually able to make virtual currency or money as a result of actually doing work in the game. Right. So how does this changed the idea of work. What if that is work? Like people do that eight, 10 hours a day and that's their work day and they make money and they transact in that world. They live in that world. They interact in that world. They have an identity in that world. Dude, it's work. How much, how much Dogecoin volume on Robinhood? Like 
that is the basis version of what we're talking about, which is just buying stocks for giggles. And in this case, buying cryptocurrencies that have explicitly no value. It's a joke currency. We talk about Doge all the time, but it's a phenomenon that shows if enough people believe in this thing, then it becomes real. How real is Doge? Not at all, except it's been made pretty, pretty real, right? The market cap, I think I was just looking recently. It was as big as like uh, Clorox. <laughs> it was bigger when it was at its peak in the yeah. 52 or $3 billion market cap, bigger than GM, bigger than Toyota. My God. Okay. So like that's, that's big. Yeah. And, and based on utter, just nothing, just pure community sentiment. And so what happens when we look at something like a game, which has real community, which has real stories, real culture, real buy-in compared to uh, a joke cryptocurrency, like that's, that feels way more real at the end of the day. It's going to be very interesting because you'll imagine a worker, someone who they make some money on Axie. Maybe they have a job as a freelance designer or an engineer or whatever. They're doing some kind of work. Maybe they're a papa pal. I think there's this sort of next generation. I don't want to call it a gig economy. But there's this next generation of work that really blurs, in the best case scenario, blurs work and play because you're really getting to optimize for the things you want to do, combined with market forces as to what's going to pay me the most mm -hmm. for the next few hours. And then the trade-offs of like, well, do I spend the next four hours farming on Axie? I could probably make more money or I could, you know go do that drive pick up that assignment or, or, yeah or, or do a yeah. or, or pick up a bug a quality report or a bug quality control ticket yep. on whatever company i work for i think the default of pushing people towards agency is a good thing i like the idea that people in the future of work will have more agency over even how they spend their days because asynchronous work thanks to software will be much more viable and because there'll be just be so many more fucking ways to make money like this is, this is why this is a very cool podcast to be doing because this is at the forefront of things that are going to radically change society, man. Well, talk about radically I mean, changing society. <sighs> if this truly is a way to work, mm -hmm. then the question becomes, how do young people upskill so that this is the type mm -hmm. of thing that they're prepared for in the future? Oh, man. Dude. As opposed to something else because this may be the way to make money for them. And this is the terrifying thing. There is no blueprint here. The education systems are not at all equipped for this. They weren't equipped 15 years ago to be like, hey, you should learn how to code. They're definitely not equipped for this. And so uh, look who controls the levers. When I wanted to go learn about Axie, I went on the Discord. I went on the Reddit, shameless plug. And then I went on YouTube. And that's where I learned. And it was from strangers on the internet who were just making tutorials about like, so you're going to buy your first three Axie. Here's what you should think about. And those are the professors. But that in and of itself is a potential job. Maybe those True. people can find yeah. ways to get paid. Maybe they get paid in game for yeah. providing all sorts of tutorials to people who want to play. Yeah. Uh, Dude, they're doing scholarships now. Yeah. They're actually scholarships where people are putting forward. I was actually, I was looking at it because like, this would be a really interesting social experiment. You put forward the money to buy axes for other people who then play on it and get a majority of the revenue from it. And you, and I, apparently this is like a whole thing. That's like backing or investing I in mean, people who play on Axie and you take a piece of the revenue stream. And right now it's an ugly hack. Right now yeah. you've got to set up multiple wallets. You've got to do a lot of steps. You've got to watch a YouTube tutorial video to figure it out but you improve that user experience and you make it simple enough to just be like, wire a thousand dollars and 
or take out your credit card, put in a, oh, no, it's, well, we can say fiat things. That's fine. Take out your credit card, put in a thousand dollars and here's the rate of return. Would you like 15% on your money? Like, sure. What's it for? Oh, well, <laughs> just so you know, you're going to basically be using this money to fund a bunch of Axie scholarships. Huh, interesting. Well, as long as I get a 15% yield, I'm fine with that. Or some tokens on Axie. Or tokens on Axie. Like this right. dude, I, I mean, it's, it, the conversations are going to make no sense. In five years, in 10 years, someone on CNBC or Bloomberg is going to talk to a teenager about their portfolio. And, and they're going to be a very thoughtful, smart, sophisticated investor. And 99% of the words that come out of their mouth are going to make no sense to uh, a typical, no offense, CNBC, I love y'all, but not going to make any sense to a typical CNBC broadcaster or even viewer. Well, just to put it in perspective, I think I've looked at CryptoSlam.io probably every day for the last 15 oh, yeah. days or so. Axie pretty consistently was number one yeah. in terms of traded volume. volume for NFT collectibles. So that includes the so rares, NBA mm-hmm. top shots, et cetera, of the world doing 20 plus to 30 plus million dollars in sales in 24 hours. And we're talking about like tens of thousands. I think yesterday I looked 17,900, 900 transactions. Wow. That's real. For such a nascent marketplace, and certainly transaction volume is stupid high in terms of dollars I mean, and the amount. It 30, feels real. 20, 30 plus million dollars oh. a day. Yeah. We're talking about almost, I mean, if it's 30 million bucks a day, we're talking about almost a billion dollars a month. Yeah, that's not bad. That's pretty popular. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. when you talk about that, that's Dude, like real. there's, yeah. It's I mean, real. there's people actually mm. really playing this game. Yeah, And again, interacting in a virtual world. I think mm. the other real question, because mm. it's hard to wrap your head around this when there's just still, <laughs> there's still so much that's unknown about this world, mm. but yet people need to prepare for it. So how do people prepare for this? Especially if they're older, because younger people may be more mm. digitally native, more crypto native, may be more inclined to play video games. You and I play oh, video yeah. games. We never thought about it as an economic activity. No. Whereas younger people may, but so how do both older people who may not have really lived in this world, but may have kids Mm -hmm. who, yes, they may tell them to get their degree, finish university, (laughs) all of that. How do they educate their kids or enable their kids to be educated so that they understand this world? And Mm -hmm. same with the kids too. How do they end up figuring out how to educate themselves in a world where they may learn in different ways. I feel like we got to do an episode specifically on this financial literacy part because I don't know, maybe it's Comex Cap University because right now it's going to be ad hoc and it's going to be basically the kids who have the time and the motivation and the interest and the curiosity who are going to use these free resources that are being created online right now. And that's really the best in class. Like that, I mean, that's, again, another one of these things that's a, a hard pill to swallow is the best experts on this space are not experts or they're experts at something that is so new they're learning as they go. And for digital natives, I think for us, that's pretty normal. That's what we're used to. Like the meta of a video game changes all the time because they play balance. And this is before Axie, right? Any game Mm -hmm. has a meta where they'll sort of tweak things. They'll, They'll make certain characters stronger and other characters weaker in order to make the game more balanced. Staying on top of the meta is the only way to be consistently good over a long period of time. So you have a generation that's grown up understanding, hey, the rules of this game are changing all the time. 
all the time. And our generation or my generation is a geriatric millennial. Like I still remember the time before that when the rules of the game were the rules of the game and they don't change. Institutions made them, institutions run everything, deal with it. And that's gone. It's well, gone, man. you say that, but then again, when we look at like the top game developers in the world, mm-hmm. and now these are non-decentralized game developers, right. but like the 10 cents of the world, mm-hmm. they are the ones who control the platform and control the economics. Yes. So that's not necessarily different. Now, maybe mm-hmm. the crypto world changes. Is that, so. is that what happens? I think so. And at least, look, there's going to be way more competition now way more. And even we're just talking about trying to get yield. As a kid, maybe my parents just didn't fully prepare me for the world of finance. But as a little kid, I just understood you have a checking account, which doesn't make you any money. You have a savings account, which makes you some money. And then maybe you have some CDs in which your money is locked up and then you make a little bit more money. And that's like surefire, boring ways to generate interest. You have (laughs) 12-year-olds with their rainbow wallets generating yield from God knows what tokens or different Uniswap protocols. And it's a whole different mindset. They're looking at the, you know, return on the random ass NFTs they bought six months ago or the cryptocurrency they bought on, well, maybe not on Robin, but their parents' credit card. Well, that gets back to the beginning of this episode, which is Mm. gamification of everything, Everything. right? If people enjoy playing something, they're going to want to do it. Mm -hmm. And if it's gamified, they're going to be more likely to do it, particularly if they're younger. Now, I think it's important to highlight that there can be pitfalls to that, right? Particularly when it comes to financial markets. Gamifying the stock market is not necessarily a good thing. Look, Robinhood made 80% of their money from or the revenue from transaction-based revenue. So mm. that's trading. Mm. This is all the retail customer too. Yeah. 47% of that came from options trading, which is Oof. highly risky spicy, yeah. and often leveraged. There's margin calls yeah. when things don't go well and you can lose a lot of money. So it's good that people are getting access and it's good that people are having a great user experience where the, the company or the platform is meeting those people mm. in a way in which they want to be met and served. So I think that's a good thing. They're meeting the needs of the customer and they're enabling and participating in ways that they may not have otherwise wanted to because it Mm. might not have been fun for them before they might not have understood it. But at the same time, I do think those who are creating the platforms or the experiences really need to think about what it means to gamify something. Yeah, well, and there's a lot that comes with it for sure. And even just taking the quote-unquote best practices from games around retention means push notifications, means like encouraging really addictive behavior because it's good for the bottom line. But you start talking about people who now have the chance to fritter away, you know, their life savings and it has very, very real consequences. Well, that's just the reality of tech, right? I think this is why the theme of monetizing engagement is so important. Everybody is competing for mm. engagement, yeah, right? It's all about attention. And whether it's Netflix, mm. like you said, their competition is sleep. Yeah, It's the same in financial markets. It's the same in gaming. It's the same in sports. You're competing against people's time for doing other things. Mm. And with that, I don't see how you can get around the idea of needing to find ways to increase engagement, that's which means gamifying. And yeah. again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but... Mm. When it comes to people's capital. It's a whole different story. You have to be careful. Yeah. Man. 
Always, always with the heavy finish, Michael. <laughs> I, I just realized it's almost six o'clock and I got to go to dinner. I'm glad we got to meet in real life, though. I know. This was fun. I got, <laughs> got to see you with your massive to, hand. Got to show you. This is an Infinity Gauntlet. The, the Infinity Michael, Gauntlet. respect the hardware. <laughs> yeah.